Well, we're going to look again today at the uh, subject of the commandments Jesus gives us. We've been looking throughout this year at everything Jesus commands us. And for the last several weeks, we've been looking particularly at what Jesus has to say to us about the way of faith, how it is that we demonstrate and live into uh, the faith that uh, he calls us to put in him and in uh, his heavenly father. And so I want to suggest this morning that maybe the most important decision we make in life is whether our journey, our own particular way of being, is going to be guided by fear or by faith. Whether we're going to go through our lives uh, fundamentally believing that, um, that reality is a fearful place, that God is not particularly dependable, uh, and that we have to make it on our own and hold fast to everything that we have, or whether we're going to go through our lives with open hands, trusting in Him. Will we depend for our security and our future salvation on our own resources and capacities, or will we depend upon God? And that, I think, is what each of us has to decide uh, that determines the difference between whether we're going to be, simply be a normal person, a nominal believer, or truly a disciple of Jesus in this life. Uh, we've got to figure out where we come out on what John Maxwell once called the trust test. The trust test. And, and Maxwell says that the very letters of the word trust, T-R-U-S-T, provide us with a helpful reminder of the five particular steps that we need to be taking over and over again in our lives as we walk the way of faith in Christ. And, and today I'd like to just examine those five steps with you, if I may, and do so through the lens of one of the most famous parables of Jesus, the one we call the parable of the talents. You might find it helpful to open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 and following. That's where we read the text. Uh, because we had a great deal of, of time with our children this morning. We're gonna, I'm just going to let you keep that open, and I'll walk through some of the details of that text uh, with you in the context of my remarks. I do want to observe, however, that in filling out the trust test, and all of us fills it out in one way or another, there, there is no pencil quite so sharp, quite so defining in terms of how we do the answer to the trust test as the pencil that is labeled money. Okay, Money is one of the most important ways we mark out uh, who or in what we really do trust, to what extent our lives are are ruled by faith rather than by fear. What Jesus says in this famous parable of the talents is that you and I are like servants of the master, that we come into this life uh, already uh, enrolled in uh, a ministry of servanthood to the master who gave us everything. And into our hands, the master has placed one or more talents. The word is talent or talenta in the Greek. In the ancient times, in the first century, the word talenta referred to the largest uh, coin in the currency system of the ancient world. In other words, um, it was a substantial amount of money. We're not talking about pocket change. We're talking about a serious uh, amount of money. Of cash is what a talent was. Uh, I believe that Jesus intends for the word talent in the parable of the talents to stand for more more than just money. However, 
Uh, he intends for it to stand for the various resources that have been put in our hands, okay, that have been entrusted to us. Your pool of contacts, your social network, your energies, uh, the, the education you've been given, the skills and practical abilities you have, the unusual capacities that just to do music or to, to do art or to organize things or those special capacities that, that you have that are sort of statistically unusual. Your time uh, and certainly your material treasure are all part of what uh, Jesus means when he suggests that we've been given talents. And there are probably some people who have more talents than you've got, right? I mean, you can probably look around you and be aware of people that seem to have uh, more capacity in any one of these different categories than you feel you've got. But honestly, think about this. When you compare the education, the, the experience, the opportunities, the, uh, the, the physical resources, all of the other, the, certainly the money piece, when you compare what you've got to what most of the people in the rest of the world and the rest of history have got, I think you'd have to admit that, 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 that on the scale from one talent to three talents to five talents, all the way up to ten talents, you are further in this direction than you are in this direction when compared to other people. How many of you would say an amen to that? You know this, okay? You may be having a hard time. You may be in difficult circumstances. You can always point to somebody that seems to have more, but compared to the rest of the world, you are a ten-talent person or at least a five-talent person. And I think, I think that's true, certainly for me. Um, so, so the first step in this journey of faith is, is to take an inventory. That's the T in the word trust. To take an inventory of what's been given you, of your resources, okay? And to keep aware of it. Um, I think one of the most important things we can do is to count our blessings, Right? Uh, to be aware of all that has been given to us. It keeps us from falling into that, that um, mentality of, of, of regret or jealousy or, or grasping, just to remember how richly blessed we are. We do that especially this week of Thanksgiving. Um, but taking the inventory is just the first step of the trust test. And, and the second of those steps is to recognize the source of those blessings. Okay, that's the R part in the word trust. To recognize the source of your blessing. Some people believe that they are the primary source of their blessings. Uh, They did it. They made it. They achieved it. They own it. It's mine. Mine, 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 mine. Right? Um, there, There are many people who go through this world believing that they have largely lifted themselves up, uh, done, it, done it on their own. Uh, but most of us recognize that that's not entirely true. I, I think back to when I was an atheist. And, and I, I would have to admit, even then, that, that all of the good that was going on in my life, I couldn't quite chalk up just to me just to my good hard work, to my striving. I had received an endowment of genetic resources. I had received an opportunity to live in this country. I had received um, an unusual amount of, of education and good influences in my life. 
And I had been handed a lot of, of financial resource. And I mean, the list went on. And I realized that a lot of these things had come from beyond myself. They had preceded my action. And the sum of all of the blessings I had transcended uh, anything that I could really point to that I could say, I did this. I earned this. Now, Christians have a word for that, right? We, and what's the word? Grace, right? Grace, unmerited favor, un, unearned blessing uh, is the Christian word um, grace. And, and we've received common graces in the sense of these remarkable uh, privileges, responsibilities, capacities, abilities. Uh, and we have also received redeeming grace as followers of Jesus Christ. We, we realize that the staggering love and goodness of God has showered blessings upon us that we really could never have uh, gained uh, on our own merit. He's given us these phenomenal resources for us to use for the master's purposes. And that's the second real truth in the, in the parable of talents. Every one of the um, servants in the parable of talents is entrusted with a certain number of talents to be used for the purposes of the master. And um, he didn't have to give anything to any of them. Uh, he could have left them unemployed, unendowed. Uh, God could have done that with any one of us. He didn't have to give us life itself, much less all that we have in this life. But we have been given this immense privilege, and I would say the delirious pleasure of getting to use all of this, uh, of having a stake or a share in the glorious work of his loving kingdom in the lives of other people and across this planet. And so the big question is, not only do you have resources, but do you recognize their source? Do you recognize the source of your blessing? If you do, then in all likelihood, you'll understand the, the next step of discipleship that I want to touch on today, and that is the letter U in the acrostic or in the, the word trust. Um, take an inventory of your resources first. Recognize the source of your blessings second. Thirdly, understand God's stewardship principles. Understand um, what stewardship really means. Uh, as you have these resources. The Bible gives us a whole bunch of specific stewardship principles to, to guide our use of all that God has entrusted to us. And, and I want to give you my own acrostic for them. It's the word steward, S-T-E-W-A-R-D, okay? It's, it comes under the U. If you're keeping an outline of this, it comes under the word U. It's understanding these principles. And, the, and, and these are the motivations and the mentalities required for stewardship, okay? And the first of them is what I will call the scales principle. The scales principle. Jesus puts it like this. Give, give, and it will be given to you, okay? Take your resources, put it on, the scale, on this side, the scale of giving, and it will be given to you. In fact, says Jesus, for the measure you use with what you do in terms of giving and, and moving your res those resources, it will be measured to you. Jesus indicates in those words and in the parable of the talents, if you follow the story, that, that we have control over the weight of grace that God puts on this side of the scale. Right? 
the, the servants in the story, the, the first two servants, one has uh, three uh, talents, one has five talents. They put those resources in the service of the master, and what does he do at the other end of the scale? He gives them three more or five more. It's in direct proportion to their willingness to, to work their end of the scale faithfully. Are you and I pouring onto our end of the scale the, 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 the amount of resource that we hope and pray God will pour out to us at his end? Um, are we betting our future on the idea that God is much more generous than we are? In other words, am I thinking to myself, you know, I'm, I'm going to be kind of stingy with the way I use the resources, uh, and I'm just trusting that at the end of the day, God's going to just be thrilled with me and just pour on tons of resources anyway. Am I betting on God's generosity? Well, God is generous. He's enormously generous. And that is, and often gives us far more than, than we've earned or, or um, really even shown uh, merit for. Uh, and, and I think that for me anyway, and maybe for you, this, this is another reason why we want to be good stewards. We, we're, we want to express some gratitude to God for all that he has done uh, in prospering us with what he has. And this is where the, the, the T in steward, in the word steward comes in, it's the tithing principle, a well-attested biblical principle. The Bible teaches that God is the source of everything we have. And in response to his generosity, he calls each of us to give a tenth. And the word tithe comes from the word tenth. A whole tithe of our income to the work of his kingdom so that God can use it to provide spiritual and practical help to those in need. Let me give you a little simpler analogy of this, okay? Imagine this. I come to your door. It's Halloween. Um... And it's late on Halloween, and you still got a ton of great stuff in, in your Halloween basket. And I walk up to the door, and you realize it is getting late, and you think, what the heck? He looks like a nice guy. Um, I'm going to give him a lot of this. And you dump a whole bunch of the candy into my basket, right? And I'm just, I'm just overjoyed. And then as you're, as you're um, standing there, suddenly you remember that, that, you, ha- that you know somebody who, who doesn't get um, a lot of help in life and who particularly loves Reese's peanut butter cups. And you think, oh, gosh, I, sh- I wonder if I could have just one of those 10 Reese's peanut butter cups that I gave you. Could, could I have that? I'd just like to take this to my neighbor who just lo- and really bless that person with it. And imagine you say, would you just mind giving you just one, of, one out of 10 back? Can you imagine me saying to you, no, they're mine. You gave them to me? Mine, mine, mine. Can you imagine me doing that? Right? We think nothing of tipping 10% to a, a waitress who, who cares for us at a restaurant or the pizza guy that stops at the house. In fact, we think ourselves a little bit chintzy if we only do 10%, don't we? Can you see how generous this arrangement is that God has with us where he simply says, just one out of 10 Can you see why many, many people choose to let that just be the beginning, just the foundation for for a life in which they seek to give more and more of what they have to the purposes of the master's kingdom? Are you tithing? Is that that on your radar screen? Uh, Because surveys suggest that the average American, one to two percent, 
of their resources do they give away to meet the needs of other people or to do king, generally kingdom work? One to two percent uh, goes that way. What would it look like for you and for me to actually be tithing? Um, what would it actually look like on a weekly, monthly, annual level for us to be living into this? And, and, and is it possible that you could take a step in the direction? Don't beat yourself up, you know? Don't, don't walk away going, oh, gosh, this was a crushing day for me listening to that guy talk. Um, just think about over these next six months, moving a percentage point up in the direction of tithing. Uh, taking just some step in the direction of that biblical uh, vision of responding to God's generosity. Uh, just maybe one percentage point a year until you hit 10%, until you hit the tithe. Um, and then who knows what God will enable you to do beyond that. In thinking about this, remember too what I'm going to call the eternity principle. The, that's the E in the word steward. Jesus says basically this. Store up treasures in heaven because they're the only things you get to keep. All right? You don't get to keep the, X, the, the Xbox. You don't get to keep the, the Lexus. You don't get to keep the diamond earrings. Uh, I did a funeral this past week. Saw a bunch of hearses, not a single U-Haul in the graveyard. Uh, we don't get to keep it. But the gift of faith and hope and love that we've sown into the lives of other people... Um, we get to enjoy that on the balcony of eternity forever. Uh, the, 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 the treasury of values of, of the Christian vision that these parents will be passing on to their, their kids, that's going to outlast them in this life. That's going to live on. The, um, the stronger church or uh, kingdom agencies that you build through your generosity over the years uh, ahead, that's going to way outlive you. That's going to have a multiplier effect across time. That's going to be something that you're going to get to enjoy watching in heaven uh, for the rest of eternity. That's why Jesus commands us. Don't overinvest in treasures here on earth. Okay? I mean, you've got you to invest in stuff. You've got to have food. You've got a place to live. You've got to have you know, some material coverage. Just don't overinvest in that stuff because it goes. It's a short-term investment. Invest for the long term, says Jesus. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where rust, where, where, in heaven where moth and, moth and rust do not destroy. I love the way the, the great missionary Jim Elliott once put this. He said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Right? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I have also found that many of the people who are the most faithful stewards I know, are also motivated or marked by what I, what I call the wellness principle. They, they agree with the great social psychologist Eric Fromm, even though they may not know these words, that the essential difference between the unhappy, neurotic-type person, we know some people like that, we've been those people sometimes, the difference between the unhappy, neurotic type and the person of great joy is the difference between get and give. That's the basic difference. Those who regularly exercise the giving muscle are, have greater wellness. 
Uh, they really do. They, have, they, are, they are more joyful. They are more peaceful. Uh, they feel m- more significance in life than any clenched-fisted person can ever attain, no matter how much they have. Um, or maybe what motivates your stewardship is what I call the alpha principle. Most of you know that alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. In fact, it's where we get the word alphabet. Um, and Jesus once said that he was the alpha, uh, as in the first, and the omega, as in the last. That's the last letter of the Greek alphabet of all of life. He meant that he was the first and the final reality uh, in this universe, that all of life happens within the brackets of who he is. And, he, and so he said that our first priority um, is appropriately to lo- align ourselves with him and his intentions and his desires and his values. Uh, our first priority should be to love God with all that we are, he says, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's, that's job one in life. That ought to be the focus all the way along. Am I giving? Am I spending? Am I investing? Am I using all that I have in a way that expresses the priority of God in my life? The most blessed people, says Jesus, are going to be those who seek first, alpha, the kingdom of heaven. Those who are, are, are seeking the kingdom will have everything else really needed added uh, unto them. So the question is, do your current disciplines with the use of your talents suggest the priority that, that, that God is first priority in your life? Or if God opened up the cosmic quicken account or the ledger sheet, would he actually find that uh, there are a lot of other things way higher uh, that are the real alpha for you and for me than, uh, than, than he is or his kingdom is? Um, in thinking about this, remember, too, what I call the river principle. That's the R in the word steward, the river principle. One of the basic ideas that we get through all the Bible is that the greatest joy and meaning in life is found from making the decision. And hear me, wake up your neighbor if they're drifting off on this one. The greatest joy and meaning is found in making the decision, and it's a countercultural one, not to be a container, but to be a conduit. Okay? Not to be a reservoir, but a river. To make the decision that in spite of all the encouragement you're getting in almost every advertising campaign out there, the goal of life is not to get your container bigger and bigger, right? It, it, it's, it's to be... It's to have the throughput from your life bigger and bigger. Uh, To choose to be a river rather than a reservoir. Um, And at the end of the day, every faithful Christian steward is finally driven by the dominion principle. That's the D in steward. The dominion principle. The word dominion comes from the Latin word dominus or master. James Lawless once wrote, Stewardship is more than the management of things. It is the refusal to let things manage us. It's the decision that you and I make that our lives are not going to be defined by dusting and upgrading. Okay? That's not going to be the great obsession of our life. Dusting things off, finding another place to store them, and then upgrading, which is the constant press of of the world. Uh, stewardship tells us who or what is in control of our life, the Bible tells us. Jesus puts it this way. Nobody can serve two masters. You, you can't serve the master of money first uh, and then think, oh, I'm also going to serve Jesus. You've got to pick which is going to have 
uh, his true, the true master role in my life, the real lordship role in my life. And the choices that we make about our stewardship of our talents push our heart one direction or the other. Which direction do you want your heart to go? Uh, which, which direction do I want my heart to go? So in the parable of the talents, and I'm almost at a close here, so hang with me. In the parable of the talents, Jesus gives us these three servants. And, and the first two servants, when they're given the talents by the master, they, they go out, and on the strength of a lot of these steward principles we've been talking about, they really invest them in, the, in purposes that, are, that will help the master's kingdom expand. Right? And then along comes the third servant. And I might just add that the first two servants, because they're doing this, God gives more capacity to. He gives them more talents to invest. The third servant... He doesn't do this. His life is driven not by the faith that we see in the first two, but by a fear, a fearfulness in life. He buries what he's been given. He hoards it. He holds it. He contains it. And I think it's because he just cannot manage to take the the fourth step of, of trust. He could not surrender to the risk of investment. Okay, he just couldn't surrender himself to the risk. Risk is hard for all of us. Raise your hand if you just love risk. Okay, I didn't think so. Risk is, is difficult. It's, it, it fills us with anxiety, understandably. It feels risky to invest the first fruits of our labors in the, in the work of God's kingdom, even though that's God's call to us. Take the first fruits, first 10%, and, and invest it in this way. It feels risky to do that because we don't know if, it's gonna, if the resources are going to come keep coming. We don't know what the, the bills might be next month. Uh, we don't know what kinds of difficulties uh, we may face in this life. But there are two greater risks. It's like a person who's, who's standing at the edge of a, a, of a divide and there's a lion and a, f- a raging fire coming from behind. Yeah, those, it, it's, it's, it's risky to jump across that divide. It's a lot more risky to stay right where you are, right? And there are greater risks than the possibility that we could go through a hard season, financially or otherwise, for a time. And here are those two risks. And the first of them is told in how the parable of the talents ends. There's going to come a day when the master who gave you all this talent is going to come back, and the Bible says, settle accounts. Okay? He's going to settle accounts with us. And the sheer sight of him, I think, is, is just going to drop us to our, our knees in awe and humility at just seeing Jesus in the flesh standing in front of us. And then he's going to come over to us, and he's going to take your hand, and he's going to take my hand, and he's going to lift us up to our feet, and he's going to look us in the eye, and with great hope and great love, he's going to say, tell me, Tell me about what you did with all that I entrusted to you. Tell me the stories. You know, tell me the stories. And, and he's, he's going to want us, us to tell the stories partly so that we have the joy of telling this great story of all he's done through us. Tell me the stories. I don't want to be at that particular moment and say to him, Oh, Jesus, I was just too scared. I was just too scared to invest what you gave me in the way you called me to invest it. I I, I was just too selfish, frankly. 
I buried it all in my backyard. You know, I, I put it all, I, I put it all into me and my, my, my I just, I buried it. I, d- I don't want to be in a position, position to have to say that to him. What kind of position do you want to be in when you stand before Jesus on the day that he settles accounts? There is a second risk, and I want to close with it. I think it's even a greater loss than seeing the expression on Jesus' face if it turned out that we just were bad stewards. And and John Casey tells this story that gets at the meaning of this in a wonderful way. In this story, there's this man. His name is Dudley. It's his 75th birthday. And he is taken by a neighbor of his who is a crop duster on a flight in an airplane for the very first time. He goes on this wonderful flight in the late afternoon over the golden fields of this, uh, of this rural area where Dudley lives. And when they finally land again, one of Dudley's friends comes running out and he says to him, Dudley, Dudley, were you scared? Being up there, were you scared? And Dudley's response is, is just very curious. Dudley says, no, I wasn't scared. Because I really never put my full weight down when I was up there. I think some of us in this room, are, and all of us maybe at certain moments, are a lot like Dudley. Uh, you know, we're, we're being carried by this amazing grace. And yet we don't ever or fully put our weight down on it. Right? We don't really trust it. Even though it is carrying us, e- even though if we, if we actually gave into it, it could take us even higher than we are right now. And the only way to know for sure whether it's safe to put your weight down is to, to do the last part of the trust test. It's the T in the final part of the word trust. We need to test God's promises. We need to actually put our weight on the promises of God. There is only one area in life that the Bible or God himself says, test me in this. In fact, everywhere else, God says, don't put, we're told, don't put God to the test. There's only one sphere of life in which God says, put me to the test. Put me to the test. In the book of Malachi, God says, and I quote, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. In other words, there may be resources that we can use to bless other people. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Please, test me in this. God goes on to say exactly what he promises to those who do what he's saying here. Okay, and this is what he promises. Three things. One, God promises to shower you with resource. Here's what he says. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. I will be very generous with you, he says, if you use the resources the way I'm telling you to. Secondly, God promises to shelter you. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, says the Lord Almighty. You are not, it's not going to destroy you to do this. I know you're scared. I will shelter you. Uh, finally, God promises to shine through you, to shine through you. Then all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, he says. I will make your life radiant, he says. 
through this ministry of stewardship. I want you to think, friends, in closing today about the most incandescent people you know, okay? The ones whose lives you really admire. You think, boy, I'd like to, have, I'd like to be a person with a radiance like that. My experience is most often those people I see, they are great stewards. They're not perfect stewards, maybe. Maybe they're still growing in their stewardship vision, but the stewardship vision is part of the way they live their life. It's the movement of their life. And, and so I want to encourage each of us to dream of becoming, even more than we already are today, those kinds of stewards. What does it take? It takes trust. Take an inventory of your resources this week. Recognize who the source of the blessings are. Go back over the notes and understand those basic steward principles. Surrender to the risk of investing in his kingdom. And test him. Test him to see if he is not very, very true to his word to us. I think that if we take the trust test in this way, we are going to find God good and faithful. The question is, how will he find you and me? Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we thank you for the generosity with which you have entrusted to us the wonders of this life. Guide us, Lord, in the use of these resources in a way that blesses others, brings glory to your name, and fulfills the purpose for which you gave them. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.